I've actually gotten calls from several people, big, big time people. And obviously I can't say who, but definitely multiple times people will call me and say, Hey, somebody across the street is, has my pictures on their TikTok and Instagram and website. Can you call them? They asked me to call. So I've had to make calls many times to these other guys saying, listen, first of all, she's my patient, not yours. And she called for me to tell you this. And secondly, you're dead wrong about what you're saying she had. I'm Kirby. And I'm Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to, to Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We Ooh. hope you stay a while. Cute. That's cute. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a very exciting episode for many reasons. I feel like this might be like one of your faves. If I had access to a plastic surgeon on speed dial, I think that my life would just be improved <laughs> significantly because I love facial aesthetics. I really do because it's not that I'm looking at it thinking, oh, I need a cheek implant or whatever. I just love to know the different accoutrements that can be used yeah you're like fascinated by what is going on underneath because there's a lot that's going on and and we don't know sometimes yes and dr jason diamond for those that don't know i mean this man first of all dr 90210 hello there's a throwback for you so he was yeah. on dr 90210 that's how i first heard about him all those many years ago tammy one of sarah's friends just so happens to be like his number one Yep. Mm -hmm. For like the last 10 plus years, which so she also helps a lot with like consultations and stuff, too. Ooh, Tammy, please give me a consult. But like Sarah's the one that booked this guest, y'all. So just FYI, this wasn't like the Kirby show that was like, I need a plastic surgeon to talk to whatever. Like Sarah was like, hey, Dr. Diamond wants to come on. And we're, I'm like, hell yeah, do it. Make it happen. But it's like someone we both have like, you know, been following and long admired. And it just also makes sense for Los Angeles because he is like the man, the facial plastic surgeon in Hollywood. In our description, we say we pull back the curtain on what's going on with your favorite celebrities. And this, he is the guy. And we get into this. Plenty of people will say they're working on so-and-so and doing so-and-so and post all these pictures of so-and-so, but they're not. It's Dr. Diamond. But he's too humble to call somebody out on social media, right? So, And he doesn't need to because let's like run through his clientele. Please. Who is seeing Dr. Diamond? Number one fan. Chrissy. Chrissy Jagan. Yes. I feel like he should be paying Chrissy, but doesn't need to. She like is always talking about all of the different procedures she's getting by Dr. Diamond. Kim Kardashian recently said he was the best. Okay. And I think like the whole family, even though like Courtney posts about getting the Diamond Instafacial, obviously all the sisters, Kris Jenner, and then like we've got the behind the scenes people, Chris Appleton, Jen Atkin, they're all there. Mario probably goes. I was just telling Sarah, I'm like, we're going through his Instagram and it's like literally everybody that's who's who of glam is there. 
And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, they're there because the clients they work on are there. So like, just go see who's on that page and then like make your assumptions based on who they work on, honestly. But again, Dr. Diamond has been doing this for decades, okay? He's like very well established in the facial plastics community. He is really on the forefront of innovation in so many different ways. I think that's why I love this episode because we're asking him about you know, common things that people think that they need to get done. And, and he's actually going, hey, maybe you actually, if you're thinking your nose is too big, maybe you actually don't need a nose job. He really is just a wealth of information. And it kind of goes back to Sarah and I, how we feel about experts like plastic surgeons, like dermatologists. They're artists. They are looking at your face and they're sculpting and they're balancing. They're bringing symmetry. And it's not the same for every single person. So you may hear him say a few times, it depends, because it really does. Mm -hmm. It's not a cop out. But he does give some really insightful, helpful answers, I think that you're going to enjoy hearing. Yeah. And we also just want to say that this is an episode that contains some sensitive topics. We're talking about body modifications, we're talking about facial modifications. So we suggest that, what are we calling this? 18 years old and up. This is adult listening. It, like if you, you know, listen to this episode or listen to podcasts like with your kids, maybe this is one that you should keep to yourself just because it could be a little triggering one and two, just, you know, dealing with a lot of sensitive topics. So just wanted to warn. Consider this your trigger warning. If this is something that you may be triggered by, please stop listening now. And we know a lot of you have teenage daughters that listen with you, which we absolutely love, but this is not the episode for them, please. There is a certain topic that we get into that is based on fact and science and studies and research that Dr. Diamond brings up. And of course, he is a doctor. He's very matter of fact. He's just presenting facts that maybe Sarah and I don't necessarily agree with. When you hear it, you'll probably know what it is. But just wanted to put that out there because it's him stating his opinion based on these facts. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to share that with you and have you guys know that going into the interview. Again, if you're listening, you're probably interested in facial plastic surgery and facial sculpting. He talks about non-invasive treatments as well. This is not just strictly surgical. So if you are interested in, you know, how the face ages and facial balancing, I think that keep listening. You're going to enjoy it. He's a delight. Yeah, no, I learned so much and I really feel like he was being so honest and he like opened up to us. It was a really, really fun interview. So enjoy our episode with Dr. Diamond. This is very exciting. I'm going to restrain myself from making this a personal consult. Okay, Dr. D? Uh, we could do any personal consult you want. Let's do it. <laughs> The listeners might not be happy with me if I just make it all about myself, okay? But trust me, I feel like it's going to veer in that direction. <laughs> all right. So, Dr. Diamond, I want to know personally a little bit more about you. What made you want to get into the plastic surgery field? Like growing up, was this always a dream of yours or did you kind of decide through other means, hmm, maybe this is the route I should take? I was exposed to the field when I was in high school. A friend of mine was involved in a car accident and his face got smashed up pretty good and he had to have a facial reconstruction. And so like before he had this reconstructive surgery, you know, he was so distraught and no one's ever going to want to go out with me, look at my face, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, and it 
sort of affected everybody to see him go through that. Then he went through the surgery and they were able to you know, fix him and make him whole. And I was just blown away by it. And um, the interesting thing about it was we're talking back in 1986. So there were no cell phones, right? The doctors would take Polaroids, they had these Polaroid cameras, and they took some snapshots for him intraoperatively and they gave the pictures to him. And they were pictures with like the skull pulled down, showing all the plates and screws and all the fragments of bone and stuff. And to freak everybody out, he would bring him in once in a while to school or around his friends and everybody would run for the hills. But I was obsessed with these pictures. I wanted to see him and like stare at him. And every time I, you know, I was, I was like, can I see his pictures again? Like I was just obsessed by it. It was so weird. And uh, so that was like my first exposure to it, you know, but like no one in my town, no one in my family were doctors. It wasn't even something that I thought I could do, but I just always had remembered that experience. And then when I got to college, and started taking some science classes. I realized I was pretty good at that type of thing. And then I thought, you know what, med school is a possibility for me. And I ended up, you know, getting going into med school and then rotating through all the, you know, med school, the first two years are all classroom. You're just in a classroom for two years, but then your third year, you're rotating through the hospital and offices and things. And when I came through the plastic surgery department, I always remembered that experience and I was just so fascinated by it. And I just so happened to be pretty good at it too. And that's kind of how it all went. I love it. I love the obsession with like the skull <laughs> being exposed. <laughs> it's like a little dark, but also yeah. has this aesthetic piece to it, which I'm very into. So I feel you on that level. So then you landed in Beverly Hills. You are working with some of the most famous faces in Hollywood. Can you share with us what are celebrities commonly coming in for at the moment? Obviously, everyone has a different face. Everyone has, you know, different things they want to work on. But maybe tell us a little bit more about like what you're seeing lately. Like, are there any specific areas on the face that you're seeing people are coming to you and asking you to fix? Well, let me let's start with this. Um, as you may or may not know, I'm a facial plastic surgeon, right? I made my whole career and reputation based on my facelift results and my facial surgery results. And it was based on that success, you know, about 10 years ago or so that I developed a non-surgical practice. And now that's become a big part of what I do. It's pretty much an equal amount of surgical and non-surgical, and I love them both very much. So, you know, unlike many practices out there. I do both surgical and non-surgical. So I see all comers. So some of these people I'm doing surgeries on and some I'm doing non-surgical things on. And it just depends on the person, of course. So if you're asking me what are the most common non-surgical things that I see, skin is always very important. Skin's always at the forefront of people's concerns. And as a facial surgeon, I think that differentiated me from many, many surgeons that I always always put a big focus on the skin because I know how important it is. So just despite, you know, correcting the deeper structures and moving things around to make it look better, I always had a focus on the skin too, because I knew how important it was. So skin is always a big part of what I do surgically and non-surgically. Uh, and that's when I developed the Diamond Instafacial, which product line is developed around, but that's a big part of what I do. And then of course, Diamond Facial Sculpting, which is my technique of enhancing the contours of the face and enhancing the bony structures. And I developed a technique to do that non-surgically. And that was actually born out of my surgical procedures because I'm a very big proponent of facial implants. And there's only a few of us in the world who customize these implants. And I've been doing this for, you know, for 15 years, customizing implants. So versus opening one out of a package and putting the same one in all of us, I now you know, will get a CT scan of somebody's face 
and based on their bony structure, actually build an implant to custom fit and do whatever I want. So ba- I was doing those surgeries and one day, you know, 10 or whatever years ago, it dawned upon me, like I can recreate this shape non-surgically in the office. And so that's how facial sculpting came about. And that's one of the big things that I do too in the office. Oh my God. I love this so much. So when it comes to non-surgical facial sculpting, like what are some products that you're utilizing that you like to use specifically? I feel like so many people are probably coming to you because they obviously see your high profile clientele on Instagram. Like Instagram has been a really great calling card for so many facial plastic surgeons, but I'm sure you get people that come in and they're like, I saw Christy Teigen get the diamond Insta lift and I want that, but also like, what else can I do? And I'd love to know, like, what are some of the tools you're using? Like what type of filler, what type of neuromodulators, like things like that? What do you like? This may be an unexciting answer for you, but the true answer is it doesn't matter what you use. It matters how you use it. So whether I'm using hyaluronic acids and there's 50 different ones on the market, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether I'm using Voluma, Restylane, Belfa, it, it doesn't matter. And as far as the neuromodulators, that doesn't matter either. Whether I'm using Xeomin or Botox or Dysport, what matters is how I'm using it and where I'm putting it. So with facial sculpting, I may use any of the above. I may, may use calcium. I may use hyaluronic acid. Sometimes I may even use uh, other things. It just depends. But it's, it's how we shape. It's all about the shape and the location and the position that I'm putting it in. And so a big part of facial sculpting is, you know, is crafting jawlines and, and chin projections and cheek contours and things like that. So again, the, what I'm using doesn't really matter much at all. I can make something look great with just about any product. I'm actually curious to know this. Are chin implants, because you mentioned implants, are chin implants really popular? When I see Instagrams, and I'm sure you've seen all of these, where it's like, what did this person have to their face? And it's like some random doctor assuming or speculating chin implant is like always in there. And I'm like, are chin implants really that popular? This is something that I I learned years ago. And I've always been a huge proponent of chin implants. I think I'm the biggest proponent of them of anyone that I know. And I've had people say, oh, he uses chin implants too much. Like I've heard that, which I strongly disagree with, but I've been doing them forever, which is why I got into the customization because I realized how important they are. So it's nothing new to me. And it's something I do very frequently. I will tell you that I've figured out how to non-surgically create just about the same type of look and shape and results non-surgically with facial sculpting. So it's one of the most common things that I do. And many people who I take care of, we were in that area one way or the other. So I know I brought a lot of attention to that area and the importance of it. So is that what other docs are doing and what other people are doing? I suspect there's some of that going on in the people you're seeing. It's definitely a very, very important part of making a face look good. I have a question sort of on that note, Dr. Diamond. Kirby mentioned, you know, like Instagram is so big for facial plastic surgeons and they like to show off, you know, their work and stuff. And I feel like there's also so much discussion about like where this celebrity goes and who they see and they just like assume because a lot of times like they don't like, you know, say who they're going uh, to. You obviously have developed like your own specific ways to do things and leading the charge. And there are probably a lot of doctors who are trying to copy you or claiming that your work is theirs. How do you, you know, stay above all of that and 
share with us like how that makes you feel. Sarah asks because people are doing that, like just so everyone's listening. The reason why Sarah's asking is not just it popped in her head. People are claiming Dr. Diamond's work is their own and we know that's not their work. (laughs) So Dr. D, please. I've actually gotten calls from several people, big, big time people, and obviously I can't say who, but definitely multiple times people will call me and say, hey, somebody across the street is has my pictures on their TikTok and Instagram and website, and they're making it seem like he did stuff for me and he didn't. Can you call him? They asked me to call. So I've had to make calls many times to these other guys saying, listen, first of all, she's my patient, not yours. And she called for me to tell you this. And secondly, you're dead wrong about what you're saying she had, right? Like dead wrong, like not even in the ballpark. You're not even close. And so this happens quite often. You know, listen, I... I try to stay above the fray, right? I try to let my work speak for itself. My patients talk about me in their circles. Uh, you know, I don't need much more than that. They, they know where to come and they know who's doing what. So, you know, I don't have to be out there, you know, blowing my own horn or promoting who's coming. They do that for me. Like, I don't even ask. They do it for me when they feel it's appropriate. And just as many people as you see, you know, out there promoting me, there's just as many people who are completely silent about it. And that's great, too. And so I let those who want to talk about it, talk about it. And those who don't, don't. And that's it. Sarah, I hope you don't mind. I need to go back to the chin conversation. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need. (laughs) I really want to talk about chins because (laughs) Dr. Diamond's face, he's like, what is this woman about to say? I just want to know because. This is your expertise. This is your art. So for those people listening who would be like, maybe they're looking at themselves in the mirror or on Zoom or on their cell phone, they're going, okay, I need this to be fixed or I need my chin or jowls to be fixed. Like, where does the chin come into play? Like when somebody comes to you and says, I think I need this done. And you're like, actually, you would benefit more from a chin implant or chin sculpting. Can you give us some ideas of how a chin may be a better option (laughs) than others? Well, first of all, If you tonight go watch TV or flip through your magazines and look at the faces that you think are the most beautiful, they all have a, and these are women and men, but even the women have as strong a chin as I do. I mean, pretty much, pretty much universally, slightly different shaped, but strong. It's a very, very desirable feature. And so many times, like a very common thing is somebody will come in and say, you know, doc, I think my nose is too big. And in reality, their chin is too weak. And because the weak chin throws off the balance of the face, if you give the appropriate balance, all of a sudden the nose fits better. And that happens very commonly. So that's just an example of somebody looking, you know, barking up the wrong tree. Many times somebody will come in and complain of their jowls, complain of like, and they think they need their face pulled back. When in reality, if you can project that area out appropriately, you can make this jawline look a lot sharper without even having to pull anything. And so those are just examples. Those are just examples of someone not necessarily knowing what they're looking at and asking for something when I have to guide them the right way. Yeah, it's balance. I love that you touched on that. It really is all about the facial balance. It's such a great example. Yeah. And ideally, just as a rule of thumb, if you were to drop a straight line down from the lower lip, the chin should bump into that line. That's just a rule of thumb. But uh, for, for people, it's something just to hang your head on, okay? It's not exact necessarily, but it's a, just a good rule of thumb.
now this leads me to the social media of it all. Has social media made your job harder? I'm sure people come in and say, hey, see this filter? How do I get this? What happens when people do that and ask you about that? Yeah, that's an interesting thing too. So social media has been, it's been great and it's got the downsides like that. Basically, the only way I can answer is I have to just take each individual person and deal with their expectations and the canvas I'm given with their face and go from there. So, you know, I just have to be honest with people. And sometimes I can give them exactly what they want. Sometimes I tell them, you know, I don't think that's going to be right for you, even though you you know, bring in a picture of Megan Fox, right? Like if I give you that, it's not going to look good on you. I just have to take each individual on a case by case basis. Damn it. I thought that Megan Fox was just like the, the look for everyone. So that's really unfortunate. <laughs> By the way, this is the fourth time Megan Fox has been mentioned on this podcast, Sarah. The fifth time, it has to be her actually saying her name. Just FYI. So talking about celebrities, there are people who believe that celebrities in plastic surgery are setting these unrealistic beauty standards, right? Specifically for young people, young women. We were talking about Chrissy Teigen. We love that she's super transparent, always talking about what she's getting. But do you think that it is a celebrity's responsibility to be transparent and honest with their followers, you know, especially on social media? Because like to Kirby's point, you know, people are bringing these photos of celebrities to you and maybe they also don't realize that they had something done, you know, like, do you think that it's a famous person's job to talk about what they're doing to their face? You know, that's a philosophical question that I don't know if I I have a good answer to. I think people have a right to keep their secrets secret if they so choose. I do. I understand the dilemma. Like young people are looking at, at somebody's face and saying, I want to look like that. I mean, my kids are in that world too. Look, I've got a 14, 11 year old and they look at Instagram and TikTok and they want to, you know, emulate the people they see as well. I think that's more of a of a household thing to deal with more than it is that the influencer's job, really. That's how I feel about it. Wait, how do you talk to your children though? Like have your children come to you and been like, dad, I want this. I'm looking at this. I want to look like this. Like, how do you, as like, this is your job, like talk to your children. Like, do you have any stipulations where you're like, talk to me when you turn 18 or. Yeah. I, <laughs> I tell them, listen, you, you've, you got, you've got to finish growing, you've got to finish, you know, developing, and then we'll, you know, and you're going to, you got to live the right way. You got to eat healthy and exercise and stuff. And let's see, you know, what happens, you know, it, so you're 10 and 14. Now you, you just got to basically do the right things. Um, but we'll talk about it, you know, when you're, when you're older. Yeah. You're a kid, you're a kid, be a kid. And by the way, I should say it is appropriate for certain age kids to have things done that this has been proven from psychological standpoint. So it's totally appropriate and acceptable to pin a kid's ear back when they're five years old. Cause a lot of kids who are like this, because they get made fun of and the psychosocial implications of that far outweigh, you know, a five-year-old going through surgery. So that's totally accepted and standard of care to pin a kid's ear back by the time he's five. And similarly with rhinoplasties, you know, noses for people when they hit, you know, 15, 16, a lot of people will complain about their nose. A lot of kids will complain about their nose. They start to become aware by the time they're probably 12, 13, that something doesn't look the way they want. 
it would be too early to fix at that time, but but the nose is kind of fully grown by the time you're for a girl 15, for a boy 16. So it is standard of care and appropriate to address that at 15 or 16. Again, to help their social, their mental and psychological development. So it's not to say people have to wait till they're 40 to have something done, but it just depends on what we're talking about. That's why everyone has a new nose after they come back from college or like, you know, when everyone's coming back to visit, they're all holidays, you're like, your nose looks different. I see what you're, you're, I know Kirby's obsessed. I freaking love a rhinoplasty. I'm not going to lie. I love rhinoplasties. Literally like Ashley Simpson should be like, she should be the billboard for a freaking rhinoplasty. This is actually Dr. Diamond. What I wanted to chime in on when you were talking about should celebrities come forward with what they do? Because I think that there's such good surgeries and non-surgical things that celebrities do that you're kind of like, I can't put my finger on it, but they look good. And I think that, you know, for instance, Jane Fonda, when she talked about her facelifts, literally like she had those done her second one 20 years ago and up like three years ago, an anchor asked her, so let's talk about your facelift. And she's like, we're still talking about my facelift. So that was Megan Kelly who asked that. I remember that. Yeah, exactly. And so I feel like when you do come forward with these things, it's like, yeah, I'm being transparent, but then now am I only going to be asked about my facelift for the next 40 plus years? So I understand why they may not actually come out with it. But things like, for instance, Ashley Simpson's nose job, when it happened, it was so obvious she got a nose job and the whole like, it was a deviated septum. I'm like, come on, people. Like the publicist that made that up is truly like chef's kiss. You're really doing your job well, but Let's be upfront if the thing is so obvious. Just say, like, I wanted a nose job. And I hear you. And I agree with that, too. But, you know, you got to balance out. Like, look, these people are making their money, whatever it is they're doing. And if they feel like, you know, that's going to take away from their earning capability, then, you know, listen, that's the, that's for them and their team to decide, right? Like, so people don't necessarily think about it that way, but that's the reality. Okay, so I was very fortunate enough to receive the Diamond Instafacial last year it was like I posted about it I so many people reached out and they were like I'm so jealous tell me everything and then I like was texting Tammy telling her like you know I couldn't believe like how smooth and glowing my skin looked this is a treatment obviously that people come to you you know from around the world something you develop, something that you are creating your product lined around so you know the results are incredible can you tell us how you developed it and, and why? Well, part of it, again, being focused on the skin and understanding the importance of that, I was always looking for, and still always looking for the best treatments to help prevent aging and maintain skin elasticity because it's all extremely important. So I learned years ago that people were using you know, stem cell you know, plasma kind of treatments for different parts of the body, for elbows and joints. Like right now, like if you go to your orthopedic surgery and you tell them your elbow hurts, they're likely going to put some plasma, some of your own blood, treated blood, which is the plasma components. They're going to inject that in instead of steroids like they used to, right? And this has been going on for probably 10 years or so. So, you know, I knew some surgeons who were using it in that capacity and uh, just did a lot of research on the topic and found that, you know, this could be interesting for skin use. And I just started you know, playing around with it years ago and quickly realized like these are results that I hadn't seen any other way. And I, again, I'm on the cutting edge of 
everything. If there's something new, I mean, I'm, I'm examining it and, and following things very closely. And I just saw that this is like, you know, and I found that I could figure out different ways to make it more effective and like really, really impactful. And so it was just trial and error, really, and just years and years of kind of honing and tweaking and getting it to where to where I've gotten it to. Can you walk us through? I mean, I shared the process on a previous episode, but what makes a diamond instafacial? Like, what are the steps? It's very variable depending on the person's skin, but it will start with me evaluating somebody's skin type. And it will usually start with some version of a laser in many different variations, depending on what we're trying to do. And then we will take your blood and treat the blood and turn it into plasma, which basically eliminates all the waste and metabolism. And you're left with just the the nutrient components of the blood. It doesn't even look like blood. If I was showing to you, you don't even think it's blood. It's like a golden clear liquid. And then I will inject that under the skin in multiple locations. And then I will lay it on the skin and penetrate it in with needles to get it coverage on the entire surface of wherever we're treating, face, neck, chest, wherever we're treating, I will use needles to penetrate into the skin. And then we'll use the medical grade collagen on top of that to let everything penetrate in. So that's the treatment, but how I do it sort of differs for everybody. So when somebody goes in to get this instafacial, what results can they expect? And like, how long will it take to see the results? And how many of these services do you suggest that people get? Yeah, so the results usually you see within uh, within a week to a month. The downtime is very minimal. You're talking usually just a couple hours to a day of being read, but that it's so minimal, the downtime. People are usually ready for a camera literally a day or two later. This is not a one-time treatment. There's very few skin, there's really no skin treatments that are one time. It's, and I tell everyone, taking care of the skin is like fitness. It's, it's a never ending journey. It's not like you work out once and you're done. You got to keep on top of it. So, I mean, I've got people in the industry who are here literally every one to two months for it. And then I've got, you know, more normal people who aren't in the industry who are, you come in three times a year, four, four times a year. So it just depends. But the results you get are very, very nice and significant and, you know, at least last, you know, some period of time. And you did it on my neck for tech neck lines, which I was like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that you could do this to my neck. Can you, was that like a newly developed procedure that or area that you were treating because of maybe Zoom and the pandemic? Yes, that's one thing that more and more people complain of is that because everyone's looking down on their devices and it contributing to the appearance of the neck that people are concerned with. So I did start using it for that. And I have you know, also kind of develop that. We now call it the InstaAmni, which is a InstaFacial, but we add some other components to it and some amniotic-based stem cells and things of that nature to uh, make it more directed towards, towards those neck creases and that neck skin. Wow. Okay. Well, I definitely want to come see you, Dr. D, but honestly, I'm just scared because I'm like, I'm going to see you and then I'm going to be like, okay, no, what about this? What about these? Like, like how am I on that? And then it's going to just, I'm going to basically go bankrupt trying to get everything done. So um, maybe I'll hold off for a little while longer. Um, I want to know what do your patients, maybe first time patients that actually get in to see you, what do they get wrong about plastic surgery in general? Like, are there things that where you are like, okay, listen, we need to go back to basics because you just clearly don't understand what I do for a living. <laughs> there, are, there are certainly going to be those people who come in for the wrong reasons. 
meaning they're unhappy with certain elements of their life not related to their face. And they think that doing something on their face is going to correct those extracurricular problems. And the reality is it won't. Like doing something on your face is going to make you feel more confident, make you feel better about yourself. But that's but that's not going to fix your broken marriage or fix your whatever problems you have at work or whatever. And so when people come in with the wrong idea of what it's going to do for them, I have to, you know, I have to kind of weed that out. Now, you know, as my practice has developed, I, I see fewer and fewer people who are coming in for the wrong reasons, but still, I still have to have my guard up because listen, I, not only do I want the person to be happy, but I want a happy, stress-free life too, you know? So I don't, you know, and just as this practice has developed, I see fewer and fewer people who are here for the wrong reasons. Have you ever had to like give up on a client, like tell them they weren't allowed to come back because either they made your life more stressful or you were afraid that the way that they spoke about your work was not going to be a becoming of your practice? Yes, that's definitely happened. Most commonly, if someone's just asking for something I disagree with, you know, and they don't aren't taking my advice and I, they just are sort of insisting on me doing something that I don't agree with. Yeah. I'll tell them I can't help them. You know, again, any doctor who tells you they haven't had a problem patient is lying to you, any doctor. And that just doesn't exist. Again, thank God, as my practice has developed, I see very, very few problems now, but certainly over the years, there've been some patients who are problematic in the way they talk to the staff or the way they, this sort of sense of entitlement where they're, you know, just not being nice, essentially. And yeah, I will get rid of them as well. Okay, so plastic surgery has changed so much over the years, ever since you started. It's changed a lot since Jane Fonda got her facelift. It's getting more and more popular. It's getting bigger. It's been written about, especially like so much over the past couple of years. You're like at the forefront of this, like forefront of new technology. You're leading the charge. Like we said, people, doctors are looking to you for like what's next and what's exciting. Can you share with Kirby and me, like, what are you really excited about for the future of plastic surgery? Well, you know, people ask this question all the time. And my first answer is that, you know, what's going to make plastic surgery better? I, my analogy is that's like asking, you know, Eric Clapton, what's going to make him a better guitar player? It's really not based on technology. Part of the answer is, you know, Eric Clapton's getting better at guitar, not from technology, but based on just doing it a billion hours, right? You just get, you just develop your style and your craft and your technique. And so for me, I mean, that's still what I'm most excited about is just how these procedures are going over the years, you know, and these little tweaks that I make and just the, the way I understand and bond to the face. It's just, uh, that's what's the most exciting to me. Now, from a technology standpoint, I'd say that the bioregenerative techniques are the th procedures, the things that I think hold the most promise and things that I use am on the forefront of those things, like using exosomes and stem cell facials and PRP-related treatments, things like that. I do, uh, I do very much like, and I think there's a lot of promise for what improvements that can be made using those technologies. Um, so that's probably where the biggest advancements will come from, I would think. Ooh, that's exciting. Get on my face and body, frankly, just get everywhere. Um, okay, Dr. D, we're going to do what we like to call the slow burn round. So what's your favorite treatment for fine lines around the eyes? 
Well, the, the simplest answer is Botox. Botox works. Put it this way, without Botox, <clears throat> no matter what you do, those lines will be there. You need to stop the motion of those muscles causing the crinkling. And then once you've stopped it with Botox, that may be enough of an answer. And if it's not, then you would do some resurfacing procedures. That's not a filler thing. You're not injecting filler into that area. That's a, sort of a, a superficial skin treatment issue. So I have a question about that, actually. I've gotten Botox. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten Botox um, for my crow's feet. Okay. I get it in my 11s, but I'm developing this line under my eye right here. And it's from like constantly smiling and using my face and talking a lot. Obviously it's part of my job. Can I get Botox there? I'm a, I don't want my eyes to like droop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can, but that's gotta be done very skillfully. That's gotta be done very skillfully. Okay. And there's some other things you can do to help with that. But yeah, Botox can be done there. Just Whoever's doing it needs to know what they're doing. Okay, got it. Okay, love to hear it. Love to hear it. Okay, someone's coming to you complaining about their eye bags. What do you recommend? Again, that depends on what I'm seeing, but most of the time, if somebody's got real eye bags, you're talking about surgery. Surgery. You you know you can do filler to the area beneath the bag, but it's a camouflage technique because all you're doing is you're lifting up the tissues to meet the bag to make the bag less noticeable. It's not a great option. I love doing filler to the tear trough. I love it, but it's much better for people who have hollowness. Some people age with just hollowness. Then it's a great option. But when somebody's got a bag and they don't want to do surgery, you're really trying to fit a, you know, a round peg into a square hole. It's just not great. So surgery can give you 100% correction for a long, long time. It's a simple healing process. It's painless. So surgery is your best answer as a blanket statement. What about heavy eyelids? Similarly, you can try non-surgically to do what I call the non-surgical brow lift. Well, so going to basics, you can start with a little Botox. Botox done with a brow lift technique can give a little brow lift. It can. There's a technique we use. Sometimes that's not strong enough, even doing the brow lift technique, not strong enough to really lift the brow, in which case then I will add a little facial sculpting, little injections of filler throughout to even give more tension, give more of a lift. Sometimes that's enough to lift the brows enough to clean up the upper eyelid. Sometimes even that's not enough, in, in which case we're talking about surgery. We're talking about either a little mini brow lift, little tiny hidden incisions back here, where we just give a little elevation, or we're talking about cleaning up the upper eyelid with a little skin removal from the upper eyelids. And when you mentioned the filler aspect um, for the brow lift, you're talking about putting it like around the temple area, like hairline? The temple, the scalp, under the brow. There's certain ways to do it to get things to lift. Okay. Smile lines. You talking about the ones around the mouth? Yeah, that can be a multifactorial type of issue. Sometimes it's related, oftentimes it's related to motion, in which case certain air, certain strategic Botox can help that. Sometimes we just do a little filler into that line. But most commonly, I like to lift it from above because filler here. So backtracking a little bit, I noticed years ago as a facelift, so I, like I said, I started my career doing facelifts. That's how I became known. And at the time, we're talking 20 something years ago, most of the people doing fillers weren't facelift specialists. They were dermatologists and other specialties. And I would notice that all these people would be coming in to see me and they went to their derm or whoever, and they had a bunch of filler in here and frankly, just looked like crap. It didn't look good and it didn't solve their problem. It just made them look kind of weird. And so I, I learned way back when that people were barking up the wrong tree. So that's when I realized like we have to lift that from above. So like getting things to kind of come up from here 
is the best way to address this in a natural way. I, the, the, the more I've developed these techniques and the more people I see, honestly, the less and less I inject this area and the more and more I do it from above. Yeah. So less of the nasolabial fold and more towards like the hairline. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's art right there. I freaking love that. Yeah. And, and honestly, I was telling people, I mean, way, way back when I was like, man, these, the derms have like, they're barking up the wrong tree. Even patients coming in saying, I want to fill this. I'm like, I just realized, and I thought maybe I was the one taking crazy pills, but I think that's caught on now. I think most people understand that or many providers and patients understand that now. Okay. And you kind of hit this, but what can be done for dark circles under the eyes? I know that's hereditary a lot of the time. That again, depends on the person. Sometimes it's a, it's a tough problem. Sometimes filler will help. Sometimes fat injection with nano fat, which is like the stem cell component of fat will help. Sometimes we'll use something called carboxy therapy, which is where we infiltrate a little car carboxy CO2 gas because that can stimulate stagnant blood flow and can, and can help. It can be a tough problem and there are many different things that we try. And it's one of those things, the harder the problem, the more sort of solutions there are. Cause right, like for these lines, Botox works every time. So there's one thing we do, cause it really works. When we've got a million different ways to do one thing, that means there's sometimes not one really good way. You just have to try a bunch of different things. Can I be an apprentice? I just want to freaking like follow you around. I'm, I'm truly obsessed. Like literally everything you're saying, I'm like salivating. I'm like, yes, yes, tell me more, tell me more. I can see her taking notes. <laughs> we'll trade if i can be a, a co-host on something fun then we can trade for a day look at me i'm dr d i'm walking in there with the lab coat i'm ready to go they're like um filling in for dr diamond is kirby johnson everyone's like i'm terrified wait, wait let me just say i had a a huge huge pop star come in i see all the time and she said i'd like to switch for a day can we switch for a day because she was had this you know loves what and i'm like who would be worse, <laughs> probably worse on stage than she would be at the Yeah, I have a feeling you would be way better than a pop star trying to inject somebody's 11s. Making custom implants. Okay, before we let you go, I have to ask this. How old are a lot of your clients coming in for facelifts? Are you seeing them get younger and younger? Yeah, I've noticed them getting younger over the years for sure. When I first started, it was probably like most people were in their mid 50s. You know, and this is over 20 years ago. Over time, that's definitely come down. I'd say, you know, the average now is probably upper 40s, which means there's a lot of people early 40s, as well as still people in their mid 50s. But now there's a lot of people younger than that, which makes the average about, I'd say, upper 40s. Oh, God, it's like rhinoplasties and facelifts are neck and neck. I, I, I consume all of the content. I love it so much. I love it so much. <laughs> Oh, this is so fun. Thank you so much, Dr. Diamond. We'll have a day where we switch. You'll be my co-host. Kirby will be doing your patients. Where can we find you? When can we expect your skincare line to come out? Give us all of the details. Uh, skincare line, probably, you know, hopefully six, six to 12 months, probably be ready to be on the shelves. Where can you find me? Dr. Jason Diamond is the Instagram, right? Dr. Jason Diamond, at Dr. Jason Diamond. I love it. I love it. You're like, I have people that handle that for me. Tammy's like, oh my God, you have to know your Instagram. Like, it's like the one thing. Do you see why I have to be in here now? <laughs> Tammy, Tammy, are you scared that I'm about to come in and, and be Dr. Jason Diamond for a day? I welcome her. Get ready, girl. We're about to have a heyday. It's going to be great. All of his clients will be like leaving in terror. <laughs> 
Dr. Diamond, you're amazing. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 